0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. It's, uh, I have been just uh, really just thinking about, here. here's the reality. I'm 33. Jerry, are you about to be 31 or you are about to be 32? 31 on Tuesday. That's what I thought. Um, What's that? Babies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting at. (laughs) Here's a guy, 33, a guy, 31, about to be 31, and we're leading you. You guys are entrusting us (laughs) with your spiritual care. And um, I've really been humbled this week by that. I was reading in Timothy, and Paul tells Timothy, like, he counts it um, just God's grace that he would count us faithful enough to uh, be entrusted. With you guys. And it really is an honor to be your pastor. I love y'all so much. Um, I love being a missional community leader. I love, uh, I love to watch what God's doing in the city. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I've never had a truer friend than Jared Pickney. That's honest. I'm 30, 33 years old. I've never had a truer friend than Jared Pickney. And um, he can call me out lovingly, I can call him out lovingly. And uh, we enjoy each other's company, we fight, I mean, we we get on each other's nerves, our personalities are a lot alike, but we're a lot different. (laughs) And, but, um, I love that man to death, and y'all be sure to uh, let him know how much you love him on Tuesday with his birthday coming up, woo-hoo, yeah, good stuff. Hey, have y'all enjoyed the real Jesus? Oh man, I'm going to tell you what, it's been so much fun, I mean, I'm telling you guys, There is no one more significant and important as Jesus. And it really is worth the rest of your life to devote to discovering who the real Jesus is. We should never stop wanting to know who the real Jesus really is. I mean, here's the truth. Everybody's going to meet Him one day. Everybody who's ever lived will meet Jesus one day. Now the terms in which you meet him under will be different. Some of you, some of us, the Bible actually says few, will meet him as his family. As his, I mean, he's going to be there welcoming us when we meet him. And the Bible says that many will meet him as their enemy. And here's the truth. Jesus has never lost a fight. He's never lost a war. And he's not going to lose one, ever. So you meet him as his enemy, or you can meet him as his family. But the Bible says that one day, everybody will kneel before him. Those in heaven, those on the earth, and under the earth. And everybody will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will meet him. I will meet him. It is worth your time to devote the rest of your life to discovering the real Jesus. Because you're going to meet him. And it's my prayer that we all meet Him as family. <laughs> Man, I can't wait to meet Him. I'm looking forward to meeting Him. And that's why we've devoted some time to discover the real Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount. You know, let's just remember the context of the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew four seventeen. The Bible says that Jesus began preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's under that umbrella of repentance that Jesus launches out the Sermon on the Mount. Does that make sense? So everything that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, we can filter back through. His message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These words lay the foundation for, for the rest of Jesus' teaching and preaching ministry. Um, And what he begins to unfold in the Sermon on the Mount is just what repentance looks like. So he just doesn't say repent and be done with it. He's actually laying out for us what a repentant life looks like when he begins the Sermon on the Mount. He's showing us what real Christianity is about. Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? repent, and this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to follow me. And here's the deal. I don't know about you guys, but man, there's been some stuff that I've been reading and studying in here and listening for Jared, and even when I'm studying for my own life, stuff's pushing into me really hard. (laughs) Uh, Man, I don't know if I want to be meek. (laughs) I find myself hungering and thirsting After a lot more of the things than God and His righteousness. And in my own heart, it's like Jesus is saying, Oh, you want to follow me? Well, this is what it looks like. Are you ready? And sometimes I'm like, whoa. It's been tough on me. I'm glad. (laughs) You know, maybe it's been tough on you, on some of you. But, you know, here's what I can promise. From learning from Jesus learning from what the Bible says about Jesus, uh, He knows the best way to live life. (laughs) I mean, He created life. So guess what? If He created life, then He knows the best way that life works. It's like an artist who paints a picture, and it's abstract, and I can look at that, and I don't have any idea what that is, but that artist who painted it gives it its meaning and tells you what it means. And that's like what Jesus has done with life. He's created life, and so He knows the best way for it to be lived. And so, as hard as some of the stuff is that Jesus says, as radical, as difficult as what he, the things that He may be saying and pressing into our hearts with, He knows the best way life lives. And this is the best way He's chosen for life to be lived. And so, what I'm learning is that even though this stuff is hard, it's so satisfying. It really is filled with joy. It really is meaningful. Like I really, I'm not wasting my life wanting and following after Jesus. And Jesus doesn't disappoint. Man, He is legit. (laughs) He knows exactly what He's talking about. And He wants us all to experience life the way it is meant to be lived. And that's exactly what he begins unfolding in the Sermon on the Mount. Life the way it's meant to be lived. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5. If you have an ESV Bible, it's on page 809. If you don't have a Bible, there's some black hardback ESV Bibles out there on that book table. Please take one. Keep it. It doesn't cost anything. They are yours to have. So Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 1 and go down to verse 8. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, remember a few weeks ago, we said that the Beatitudes are not uh, listed haphazardly. They're not just thrown out there. Uh, They're very systematically ordered. Jesus purposefully lists the beatitudes in this particular order because they build on one another. Does that make sense? All right, so the poor in spirit become mournful. The mournful become meek. The meek hunger and thirst for righteousness. When they experience God's righteousness they be, and His grace and mercy, they become merciful. And now we lead the blessed of the pure in heart. Because you can't just choose one. You can't just say, like, you know, you come after two weeks ago, you're like, man, I need to hunger and thirst for God more and His righteousness some more. Well, you can't do that unless you're poor in spirit. And you can't do that, well, you can't do that unless you're meek, and you can't do that unless you mourn for your sin, and you can't do that unless you're poor in spirit. Or you can't say, well, I need to be more meek, or I need to be more merciful, without first beginning with being poor in spirit. And Jesus is not talking about different types of people. You know, we don't have the poor in spirit over here. We don't have the meek over here. We don't have those who are hungering for God over here. This is one person. This is one person who embodies these attitudes of becoming poor in spirit and mourning over their sin and becoming meek and hungering after God and becoming merciful. And now, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. You know, one of the gospel's primary concern, if not the Bible's chief concern when dealing with man, is with the condition of the heart. Like that's what, that's, what the, that's what the gospel is going after. That's what the Bible is most concerned with, going after our hearts. So, let's spend some time talking about our heart. And let's just ask and answer one question this morning. Why in the world does the Bible place so much emphasis on our heart? So let's define what the heart is. Proverbs 4.23 says that it is the wellspring of life. Out of your heart flows the wellspring of life. So this is more than just a beating muscle in your body. This is what gives you life. This is what is who you are. Your heart is your core. It's your, the center of your personality. It's your being. It's what defines you. The Bible describes your heart in three ways, as your mind and your will and your emotions. Just real simply put, you could say the heart is what you think, do and feel. So just a couple of examples of how this is flushed out in our life. If, if, someone thinks, if someone thinks that money brings satisfaction, guess what they're going to go do? They're going to go get as much of it as they can at the expense of anything. At the expense of their family, at the expense of their friends, at the expense of their customers, uh, at the expense of honesty and integrity. Because they believe the more they get, the more satisfied they'll be. So when they have more, they start to feel better. Or, I mean, that's a blatantly sinful example. Let me give you a, 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 a good example. It's not so sinful. I think my wife is the best woman in the world. There is... <laughs> I'm working on points here, y'all. No. <laughs> but seriously, there is not a woman more beautiful, more gracious, more loving, more caring than my wife Donna Mama. She's <laughs> just not one around. And so since I believe that, guess what it causes me to do? Devote the rest of my life to her to love her, to care for her, to cherish her. And guess how that makes me feel? Makes me feel real good. I enjoy her. She brings joy into my life. She brings happiness. She makes me laugh. I want to be around her more than anybody else in here. I want to be around her more than I want to be around my kids. You see how the heart works? What you think determines what you do, and what you do determines what you feel. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that's why Jesus is concerned with the heart. Because He wants to get at the very being of who you are. He wants to get at the very thing you're thinking, you're doing, and you're feeling. So when Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Pure meaning clean Meaning, single-minded, single-devoted. He's wanting to get at. the. He wants to make your heart as purest as, he, as it can be. Now, let's just remember again. Refresh. Context of the Sermon on the Mount is what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here's what Jesus is doing. Because we've got a problem. He's telling us, blessed are the pure in heart, under the umbrella of repenting. So there's something we have to repent of in order to have a pure heart. And guess what that is? An impure heart. Jesus tells us throughout Scripture, the whole Bible tells us throughout Scripture, that our heart is the seat of all of our troubles. It's corrupt. Matthew five eighteen, Jesus says, "What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that's what defiles a person." So you want to know what some, you want to know what somebody's hearts like? Listen to how they talk. Listen to things they talk about. If all they're talking about is red wolf football, or the hogs, or hunting, or fishing, or shopping, and guess what their heart's on. I'm not saying you can't talk about those things. But if that's the predominant voice that's coming out, you want to know what someone's heart, what's going on in their heart? Listen to their mouths. Jesus also says in verse 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. If we can be honest, I would, be, I would never set foot in front of you again if you know all the stuff that's gone through my mind. And I'm being serious. There's some evil stuff I thought. That I bury quickly. (laughs) And that comes from my heart, Jesus says. From the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. You know, someone doesn't go commit a murder, then becomes a murderer. They were a murderer in their heart, before, so therefore they killed somebody. Someone doesn't tell a lie, and now they're a liar. They were a liar in their heart. Therefore, they told a lie. Does that make sense? <laughs> My wife and I, we like to watch 48 Hours Mysteries on CBS. And if you've seen one episode, you've seen them all. You know, they're true stories. And, and here's a simple plot. You've got a husband and a wife. One of them is having an adulterous relationship. The other one finds out. This one ends up dead. All right? And so the episode... It always leads you to, did this one kill this one, or how did this one die? And ultimately, this one's going to get arrested, and it leaves you pronouncing guilt or innocence on them before the episode's over with. But here's what is always said. It never fails. The one who's still alive, they interview their friends and family and relatives, and it never fails. This is what they all say. That's not that person. (laughs) They got a good heart. They would never do that. And I'm telling you, I just want to scream at the TV. Yes, it is that person. And that's me. And that's you. Like, that's all in us. That's what Jesus says our heart is about. Jeremiah would go on and say that the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. Who can understand? I'm going to chase a rabbit trail real quick. Please don't ever tell someone to follow their heart. Proverbs 4:23 begins with guard your heart. Don't follow your heart. Jeremiah says it's deceitful. Don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. <laughs> guard your heart and follow Jesus. Don't follow it. <laughs> it's going to take you down places you don't want to go. So Jesus is not is predominantly concerned with changing Our hearts. Because that's where the problem is with us. He's not predominantly concerned with changing your behavior. Because, look, that's the voice we're going to hear from culture. Change your behavior. That's what psychologists are all about. Behavior modification. A lot of our parenting is on behavior modification. And culture says, if you want to change somebody, change their behavior. And that's our natural tendency to go to. But again, we're presented with a problem. Jesus, in Matthew 23, is going to show us that you can outwardly and behaviorally look pure and clean and righteous. But on the inside, you can still be as dirty and defiled and filthy as ever. Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And let me remind you who the Pharisees are Like, these are the super Christians. Seriously, Pharisees, I promise you, know more Scripture than you'll ever know. Pray more than you'll ever pray and fast more than you'll ever fast. Tithe more than you'll ever tithe. Live outwardly more holy than you and I will ever live. This is the Pharisees. And Jesus, talking to them, says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites. I didn't put that exclamation point in there. That's in the Bible. Like this is serious this is serious language Jesus is saying. For you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. You blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These are harsh words that Jesus is saying. We can appear righteous. We can appear as if we follow Jesus and love Him. And yet the inside of us be unbelievably defiled. I wonder if that's any of us this morning. You know, you may be involved in a missional community. You may be involved in a fight club. You may be actively serving in the context of Fellowship Bible Church. And outwardly, everyone would affirm that you follow Jesus and you love Jesus and you're a Christian. But what is really going on? What sin are you not confessing? What sins are you hiding? You know, how, how many of y'all heard someone say, I don't like the church because it's full of a bunch of hypocrites? Can I tell you, I played the hypocrite before. Twelve plus years ago, I'd be going to youth group on Wednesday night, or I'd even be teaching, and I'd be coming off of a high from pain pills. Like, there was nothing about my life throughout the week that looked like I was following Jesus, but on Sunday morning I was going to be sitting in the choir. Man, I looked so much like other Christians that when Christ started really opening my eyes to my sin, and I began repenting of it, people were shocked. Like, man, we thought he was—we thought he loved Jesus the whole time. And I just wonder if that's one of, one of you this morning. Because the truth is, we're all playing some form of hypocrite. We're all sitting here singing. We're all sitting here living life in missional communities. We're going to be taking communion in a little bit. We're going to be giving of tithes and our offerings. We're going to say, yes, Christ is enough but yet we're going to be so easily enticed and satisfied with our sin. You know, we say God is good, but boy, we are stressed out to the max and worried about things that are uncontrolled. Yeah, God is totally enough. But yet, we're going to go find satisfaction in something other than Him. Or yes, Jesus is the only one that deserves praise and worship. But yet, I'm going to live a lie in front of people, make myself bigger than I am, so that I can get the praise and worship, and people will approve of me. Or we're going to say, like, yes, Jesus has taken my sin and he has made me acceptable to the father but you're going to be you're going to burn yourself out over religious activities and you're not tr- got to trust that Jesus has accomplished your work for you we're all playing some form of hypocrite and we naturally have very impure hearts The good news is, Jesus loves hypocrites. (laughs) Jesus came for me. (laughs) Jesus came for you, you hypocrite. (laughs) Jesus wants you. He desires you. He is devoted to you. He wants to take your hypocrisy onto Him. He wants to bear the weight of your sin. He wants to cleanse you from it. He wants to carry it for you. You want to have a pure heart? You go all in on following Jesus and let Him carry the load. Become poor in spirit, realizing you don't have anything to offer God. (laughs) Yes, I am a hypocrite. (laughs) And you mourn over your hypocrisy. You mourn over your sin. He wants you to come to Him mourning over your sin, becoming poor in spirit. He wants to carry that for you. And Jesus promises that your reward is great. He says, Blessed are the pure in spirit for they shall see God. I think that's past, present, future. I think... When we come to God with a pure heart, we come to Him poor in spirit, mourning of our sin. Guess what? He's going to show us all that sin in the past. All of that hypocrisy. I don't care how jacked up and how broken you are. I've carried that to the cross for you. And you don't have to answer for it. In fact, you are my enemy and I'm going to make you my child. And we're going to see God today in the present because He's going to say now... I'm going to give you power over all the sin you're struggling with. And you can have victory over your sin. And I'm going to empower you to do my work in this life right now. And we will see Him work in our life. And we're going to get to see, and in the future, we're going to see God even more. Because He's going to bring us to Him where we're going to absolutely enjoy Him for all eternity. Never worrying about sin again. Never being a hypocrite ever again. And it's just going to be eternal satisfaction with Him. That's the reward for you. That makes following Jesus all the worth it. And you know, each week we celebrate communion together and we celebrate what God has accomplished for us through Jesus. And it's going to be no different this morning. He has... Taken on our sin. He has taken on our hypocrisy. He has taken on all the weight of that for us. So that we don't have to carry it. And he wants to show himself to us. And so. As we close. Communion is a beautiful, tangible reminder of the gospel. To where Jesus says, this is what I've done for you. My body was broken for you. My blood was shed for you. So that you don't have to carry the weight of your sin. And we can leave here thankful, enjoying Jesus more, excited about Jesus, watching Him work in our life. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song celebrating the new heart that God is giving us and working in us. And afterwards, we're going to take communion. Alright? And communion works at fellowship. If you're visiting with us, when when the, when the song is over, Tim will lead us in a benediction and you'll exit to your left and you'll form a line. And there'll be some communion stations right here that people are serving us with. And if you're not a Christian, like there's no closed doors at uh, fellowship. I mean, we're open books. But if you're not a Christian, like, Taking communion is not going to do anything for you. You're not going to have a prayer answered. You're not going to be forgiven of any sin. Um, God's not going to love you more. What we ask is that you receive, that you allow Jesus to carry the weight of your sin for you that we're talking about. And you just fly to Him, realizing your heart is impure and realizing that you are in need of a clean heart. And then there's also going to be giving baskets there. So, that's another form of worship. God has given so much, so we give back. And again, if you're a visitor, we're not asking your money. This is for our partners. These are our family who have said we're all in at Fellowship Bible Church. So, let's stand this morning. Band, you can come on. I'm going to pray for us. And then let's celebrate and continue worshiping in song and communion and giving. Father, you are totally worth us going all in for. There's no sin that we can hide from you. We are all, according to your word... We lay naked and exposed before you. We can put on great fronts here. We can mask what's really going on inside of us here. But Father, you know. Father, expose our sin. Expose our impurity. Expose the unbelievable dirtiness of our heart. But the gospel doesn't end there. Because not only do you wound us and you show us how, how dirty we are, you heal us. Because you said Jesus for us. We're so undeserving of Him. The depravity of my heart is deep. Sometimes I can't believe the things I've thought. But you carry him for me, Jesus. Thank you for carrying it.